You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. Our text today we found in Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 8. If you don't have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to grab one under one of the seat pockets in front of you. There's a few scattered throughout the rows. Um, if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that Bible for yourself. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Scriptures. If you do own one, then you can return it. Uh, at the end of gathering, uh, and in that Bible will be on page 857 uh, as you're turning there. So uh, once again, Luke chapters 2, starting verse 8, and uh, this morning, if you're able to, if you could stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read together here. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, so providence here, the Word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, My name is, uh, well, first, before I get started, I need to acknowledge the fact that Eric and I did not coordinate shirts. Uh, I know we both have blue shirts and white dots, but I promise you, uh, we are, I mean, if nothing else, we're just one in the same spirit. So uh, I'll just roll with that one. Um, My name is uh, Ty Gaston, and I serve as one of the staff members here at Providence Community Church. And I'm incredibly humbled by the gracious opportunity to be able to bring you the word this morning. And if you're a first-time guest here this, uh, this morning, we're so glad that you made us a part of your weekend. And uh, it is really our hope and prayer that uh, if we have not met you, that you would simply fill out one of the Connect cards that's located in the seat back in front of you. And uh, you can enter in your information and you can give that to one of the Connect agents that's out there or the Connect booth, or you can simply come give it to me. It really doesn't matter. We would just really like to get to know you, really like to answer any questions you may have and, uh, and also bless you with a gift Uh, that we have prepared ahead of time. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us, and uh, and then we will get started with the word this morning. Sound good? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, and we want to first stop and, and thank you for your word. God, thank you that your word is an anchor to our soul. God, thank you that your word is a light unto our path. And so, God, we, I ask this morning that my uh, words would align and be in agreement with yours. And God, I pray that, uh, that those underneath the sound of my voice would be encouraged uh, by the truth of the gospel, by your word. And God, I pray that we would leave here with great joy stored up in our hearts and with a message to tell the world. 
So God, we, uh, we ask for you to be here with us. We ask for you to uh, soften our hearts, including mine. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the time of the year, at least whenever you begin to uh, you begin to do this process, and that's really start to consider how this year has gone for you. Uh, for some of you, 2019, uh, you just you just want this sucker to be over. Uh, you you can get past 2019, leave it in the dust trail, and never forget, it, never remember it again. For some of you, 2019 has really been a good year. And you're, you've been thankful for this year. Good things have uh, come to you, and you've been really blessed. And uh, while this is a simple truth, I, I do want to say that um, one of the one things that I'm really thankful for this year, and uh, as simple as it may be, is the introduction of Disney Plus into our family. Uh, because it is amazing. And it's not just amazing because it keeps your kids quiet, even though it's true. It does. It's amazing. But it's amazing because... For me, it brings back a lot of memories. It's very nostalgic because all of my childhood movies are on there. I get to relive them. I get to introduce them to my children and let them uh, you know, get new experiences with them. Uh, one of my favorite movies that's on there, and call me a masochist if you will, but it's Nightmare Before Christmas. Now, I love that movie. I haven't introduced it to my kids yet, mainly because... I don't know how they're going to take it. Uh, my, daughter gets scared, my daughter gets scared easily, and I'm just going to be honest. If they don't react to the same way to the storyline as I did, I might have my heart broken. So, uh, so I, I've just postponed it. But I love the story because the, the main character, the protagonist, Jack Skellington, uh, I love his transition, his character development through the movie. So he's living in what's called Halloween land, and he's, um, he's generally displeased with his life. He understands that there's something more than Halloween land, that this isn't enough, this can't be it. And so what he does is he goes into the forest and he uh, starts rummaging through all the different trees and they all have different doors and he, find, he comes to one that has a Christmas tree on it with ornaments. And he opens the door, goes into it, and he, and he finds what's called Christmas land. And it's here in Christmas land that he, he finds everything he's been looking for. He, he, there's this incredible joy that fills his heart, and he can't quite explain it. With all the lights, with all the trees, with all the presents, all the laughter, there's so much going on there, and he can't even contain himself. And so what he does is he takes all this joy that's stored up in his heart, and uh, let's be honest, he takes, he's also a thief, so he took some of the stuff from Christmas land, and he brings it back to Halloween land, and he gathers everybody in the community, and he, and he, he begins to tell about Christmas land. And he, try, he does it in melody, really nice, really, uh, really awesome. But he, he does it in a way where he's trying to communicate what he felt. And so he's, he's trying to tell them what presents are like and what lights are like and what, um, what he calls them Sandy Claws, uh, what, what he's like. And they tell him all these different things, and they're not getting it. They think somehow it ties back to Halloween land and how it should be scary. They just don't get what he's trying to say. And the curtains close. He walks behind the curtain, and you can just see the anguish in his soul because he knows that they see that they just see mirror things, but he knows that there's something beyond it. There's something beyond those things that, yes, those things are great, but there's something more to it. And if we're not careful, we can be the same way that we can get inundated with how our culture has commercialized this holiday season and never really get beyond the noise to the real truth, and that's that the gospel is good news of great joy to all people. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to explain this and really look at what the Bible says about this truth, and um, we'll get on with our morning. So we'll start in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and it says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, you can only imagine the terror that took place here. I mean, just let, like, let's set the scene for a second. It's completely quiet. They're out in the field. There's no light pollution. There's no, like, in my neighborhood, you constantly just hear, like, dumpsters that sound like, you know, fire trucks going off. It's just, it's loud. There's, you don't hear that. There's no cars going by. It's silent. The only thing you, you may hear is just the, the bay of a sheep. That's it. There's nothing. And then all of a sudden, they just burst through the sky. The glory of God bursts through the sky. The only, I was trying to come up with different ways that you can, like, explain this. And one of the ways that, I, that you could explain it is, like, like, whenever you get in the car and you forgot that you let the volume up loud and you turn on the car and you're just like, oh, just, you, can't, you can't even, like, contain yourself. And some of you have, like, Navy SEAL-like precision just right to the knob and turn it down. Not me. I'm just, like, slapping at the dash trying to get it to stop. And, but the best thing that I could think about uh, that really reminded me of, of this experience that maybe they would have felt was, uh, was at boot camp. For me. So if you don't know, I was uh, active duty in the Coast Guard for four years, and I still am a reservist, but this memory of boot camp, it's specifically the first night, I will never forget it. So you're, you're driving there, where it takes about 45 minutes to get from the airport to Cape May, New Jersey, and everybody's laughing and joking there. Really, I guess, it's like, I'm thinking, like, do you guys not understand what's about to happen? Like, like but they're... I guess they're just choosing to tune it out. And so we get there, and, I mean, it's just utter chaos from the moment it begins. I mean, they get on the bus, and they're like, hey, you got 30 seconds to get off, the, to get off this bus, and I've been talking for 20. Let's go. And it's chaos, and you got push-ups and sit-ups and all the, all the stuff. All the stuff you think about boot camp, that happened. And, but I'll never forget how I felt the night that I laid down to sleep that first night. I mean, in general, I'm just I'm questioning my decision-making skills <laughs> because it, it's horrible. Uh, but... Even more than that, as I lay in my bed crying, I, I start to consider what's next. Because it got eerily quiet, strangely quiet. I mean, everybody, if they're not in their rack doing the same thing I'm doing, they're asleep. And I just, I just couldn't get to sleep. Every little noise like just like shell-shocked me. I couldn't get over the fact that I knew something was coming, but I didn't know when. I mean, maybe they were going to be gracious and let me sleep till 8 o'clock in the morning. Maybe, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Maybe they were going to like wake me up in the middle of the night and then let me go back to sleep. I don't, I don't really know what they were going to do. But finally, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I got to sleep. I got to sleep. And then promptly at 4.30 in the morning, come the big boot of a door just slamming up against the walls. And it's 4.30 in the morning, so it's dark, and you have flashlights. And if you don't know, if it's dark and someone shines a flashlight in your eyes, you are immediately walking like a zombie like this. You don't really know what to do. You just know, I'm gonna reach out in front of me. Hopefully, I don't hit somebody. And so that's what's happening. By the way, great parenting technique. Kids running towards you, just flashlight, right there. Works great. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's harmful. I don't know. Uh, But... But the idea, the idea was that it was eerily quiet, you finally got some peace, and then boom, they come out. Boom. And this is the kind of fear that I I really imagine taking place here. Because what happens is you have these shepherds sitting in a field, not really knowing what's going on. And the... It's not, listen, I know the song, all right? We all know the song. We sing it every single year. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. I beg to differ. This was not calm. There's nothing calm about this situation here. All was bright, that is for sure, but all was not calm. And 
the Bible tells us how they felt. It says they were filled with great, what? Fear. They filled with great fear. And how could you not? The, it's the glory of God. And there's no better way to explain the glory of God than just the weight. The holiness of God burst through the sky and suddenly they were exposed for who they really were. And listen, these were shepherds. And we'll get to talking about who shepherds were really to their community and culture later. But these were shepherds. They, they weren't allowed to go to temple. They, like they weren't allowed to, to do this. They weren't allowed to come to Sunday morning gathering because of the way that they handled the animals. People generally thought they were thieves, so like they're not allowed to come. Now, what I will say, though, is that like they weren't reading the Torah, understanding their own sin. Like they, that didn't happen. But when the glory of God showed up, they knew exactly who they were. They knew exactly who they were. And you see this, you're reminded of it in Isaiah 6, 4 through 5. Isaiah says the same thing. And so he walks into this palace and the glory of the Lord fills the room. And it says this in verse number four. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For, the, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And so it's really easy to think about, think that everything is just okay when all you have to do is compare yourself to other people or other things. I mean, think about the life of a shepherd. The only, they did, since they weren't allowed into town and really to come in contact with other humans, uh, other than other shepherds, they really didn't have anybody to compare themselves to. I mean, sure, maybe other shepherds, but most of the time they were alone, so they're comparing themselves to sheep, and you could imagine if, who wins there. <laughs> you know, I'm better than a sheep. That's fine. I can, I can deal with that. At least if nothing else in my life, I am better than a sheep. Now, there's this, uh, there's this YouTube channel that I really like. It's called the LOL Network, and it's ran by Kevin Hart. And uh, there's this video where him and uh, actor Scott Eastwood invade the Los Angeles Rams uh, training camp. And if you don't know who they are, they're a professional football team in the NFL. And it's clearly in jest. They're clearly just trying to get laughs. But you could tell that, it, uh, that he was trying to like flex like he's good. And at one point, they put Kevin Hart against Scott Eastwood in a race. And uh, they race each other. And Kevin wins. Uh, and he wins convincingly. Uh, and so from that point on, Kevin just starts walking around the training camp, gloating to the other like actual NFL players about how fast he is and how he beat Kevin. And everything was great. Um, However, at the end of the video, they put Kevin Hart in a race against, uh, his name's Katie Cannon. He's the fastest receiver on the NFL team, on the L.A. Rams. And they even give him a 10-yard head start. And, like, at this point, he, was, he didn't think he was going to win, but because he had a 10-yard head start, he was like, okay, I actually have a chance now. And as soon as they say go, I mean, it, a, third of, a third of the way there, so within 20 yards, this guy catches up to catches up to Kevin, and just jogs next to him, taunting him the rest of the way. And it's funny, and he realizes, wow, I'm not fast at all. And it's easy to simply think that we are just okay or that we are better than the next, especially when at this time of the year, at this time of the year, the only people we have to compare ourselves to are the family members that come in town that we forgot that we hated. When I... Another example, whenever I wrestle Caleb, my son, six years old, when I wrestle him, I'm always strong. I'm always strong. I'm always the stronger one. But if I were to wrestle really anyone else, it just, it's a different story. But unfortunately, this is the downfall to what, uh, to what should be one of the best seasons of the year. 
that the entire month of December is dedicated to painting everything in rose-colored filters. Uh, we are fed that everything is just fine and that our culture tries to commercialize hope in a way that if left alone can be damaging. They, they, it, it tries to tell the Christmas story without Christ and it always over-promises and under-delivers every time. They, they've even created a title for what this means whenever Christmas stops. It's called the Christmas Blues. And it's this idea that the entire month of December, you have joyful music, all these bright lights. They have Santa's Wonderland you can go and take your kids to. All the presents, nostalgic movies, good food, sitting around a campfire. It's this really this ideal world that's not normal. And then by December 26, for the most part, it just stops. It just stops. And people can't deal with it. And they, so they call it the Christmas blues. And um, people realize that at that point, oh, wow, it's not like... Um, it's not like I got the Red Ryder BB gun. There wasn't a miracle on 34th Street. And all of a sudden, when that false hope is gone and our safety blankets of KSBJ's Christmas music all month long are no longer there, we are forced to deal with what is actually going on. We start to realize, actually, this isn't as good as I thought it was. But however... Even though that can and does and often fill us with fear, the Bible doesn't allow not only the shepherds to not feel that, but also doesn't allow us to feel that. Let's keep going. Verse number 10 says this. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Which brings me to my first point, which is, and it's simple, the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. And I, w I want to address the fear not part because there's, so there's so much tied to that. Uh, but I don't want to get ahead of myself and I'll do that in my next point. But this would have been good news for the people of God, especially the shepherds as well. And just really first at a basic level, this would have been good news because when Jesus was born, Israel was under the, oppress the oppressive rule of Rome. And so Caesar Augustus and Quirinius were in positions of power and God's people were oppressed people. And oppressed people don't have peace. They don't, they, they may have a ceasefire where like if you obey, you get good things. If you don't obey, you get bad things. But there's not peace. There's not peace of the soul. And though that is true, that's not the highest truth because God was at work to create a plan of peace. If you, if you don't notice the, if you don't know this, but the passage beforehand, uh, the Joseph and Mary are brought to where Jesus was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem by a simple census, a simple count of how many people are alive in this area. And so even though there was an oppressive rule, at the end of the day, God had a bigger plan. These men, the men that were in power at Rome, the powers that be, they had a plan to do a census, but God had a plan to bring his son into the world in the way in which he said it was going to happen. And so even though this oppressive authority ruled to their own, own ends, God desired to fulfill his plan of peace, and God was at work to begin his plan of redemption and bring true peace into the world. And you really see this in verses 13 through 14. And suddenly there was an angel, a multi, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. 
No longer would the people of God have to fear their circumstances. Would they have to fear the oppressive rule? But God promised that there would be peace on this side of heaven. And not only that, but he is going to give you and us today the prince of peace. Secondly, this was not only true for their circumstances, this would also have been true for their heart. Because we were going to be given a savior who would be willing to endure the chaos in a broken world so that we could live in a peaceful rest knowing that our souls are secure. I mean, this, this truth, this idea of security, of soul security, this kind of truth always drives peace. Always. Simple example of this is like if you do your Christmas shopping early, if you know the truth is, is that it's done, then when the holidays come around and the people come around and you are welcoming them into your home, you no longer have chaos, right? Or, you're, or the other side of it is you're just a scumbag like me and you wait until the 24th and you're you know, rummaging around through Walmart trying to find something for your kid. <laughs> but the truth is, truth always drives peace, always. I mean, and for them, the weight of our sin and the weight of their sin, they knew that by the entry of the Son of God, was, uh, their sin was paid for on the cross and brings an unmatching internal peace. I mean, do you know how freeing it is to know that nothing can separate you from the love of God, how peaceful that is? Do you know how peaceful, do you realize how peaceful it is to know that God is in control? That it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, God has a bigger plan outside of your plan, and he's working it for your good and his glory. That is a peaceful thought to be able to re- lay your head to rest on at night. There's nothing like that kind of truth that brings internal peace. And that this kind of internal peace doesn't just stay within ourselves, but it also leads us to an external peace around other people. So Tim Keller says it this way. Christmas means that through the, through the grace of God and the incarnation, peace with God is available. And if you make peace with God, then you can go out and make peace with everybody else. And the more people who embrace the gospel and do that, the better off the world is. Christmas, therefore, means the increase of peace, both with God and between people across the face of the world. And so if you've ever been around like godly people at all that have this kind of peace, it can be incredibly intoxicating. You just, like, you just always want to be around them because you feel like your life is chaos and theirs isn't. And so being around them just kind of stills the waters a little bit. Uh, but it can also be frustrating because you can, it's easy to say like, man, I'm, just, I'm never gonna be that. I can never have that, that kind of peace. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's not like they have some kind of special version of the Holy Spirit and you don't. We're all given uh, the same Holy Spirit and it's one degree at a time. It's always the small things that allow us to enter into this kind of daily lifestyle of peace, peace of the heart. There's al- it's always the small things. It's always taking time to remember the gospel. Remember the gospel that your soul is secure. It's don't neglect the gathering. Don't neglect being around one another where we're gonna be reminded of the good news of the gospel, the good news of peace, that we were given a savior. It, it's don't neglect that gathering. Don't neglect Christian community. It's, it sounds simple, and it's because it is. It's the small things done over a long period of time that bring this life of peace. But peace isn't the only thing that's promised to us here in this text. We'll keep going. We'll go back to verse number 10. 
And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, pe- for all people. And so point number two, the gospel brings us great joy. So coming in contact with the glory of God, uh, these shepherds, even though they weren't educated, they understood their own depravity. They understood what it meant for a savior to come into the world. They understood that. And the entry of Christ into the world for them was the beginning of God's redemption plan to bring them back to himself. That, that, and we know this is true because it wasn't just for them. It, was for, it wasn't just for the elite. It was also true for them because they understood their own uh, sin. And here's what they knew and trusted that we should even more. So they knew for the shepherds, they rested on the hope and trust that, uh, that the prophesied Old Testament was going to come true. They rested on that, and so God entering into the world was confirmation, wow, this is taking place right now before my eyes. For us, though, we stand on the other timeline. This is even more true for us because for for us, we can stand here knowing that, yes, God did enter into the world. Yes, God did live a life that we are supposed to, and yes, God did die. And most importantly, the tomb's empty. The tomb is empty. We stand on the other, other timeline of this knowing that the tomb is empty and that we should live a life marked by gratitude for this. And brothers, sisters, at the heart of this faith that we have is celebration. Celebration that the tomb is no longer, um, and no longer has the Savior, but he rose again on the third day and walked out of it. Yes, we will live lives of repentance as believers. That is true. But at the end of the day, that repentance should lead to a joy in Christ because you know that your debt was paid. Should always lead there. And I, and I dare say that if, you're, if your theology does not allow for that kind of celebration, then your theology is wrong. Your theology should always end in joy because victory is won. It's finished. It's done. And we know that. And so it should lead to a life style of joy. And yes, we will be sorrowful for our sins, and there will be those dark nights of the soul, but in light of the knowledge that the tomb is empty, the state of our souls is secure, and the gospel drives out sorrow and replaces it with joy, because Christ came not to condemn, came not to condemn, but to save the world from condemnation. And there couldn't be a more joyful truth than that. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, it is for love in the gospel center that you are invited to be reconciled to God You are assured that God forgives your sins, ceases to be angry, and would have you reconciled to him through his son. Thus, love is established between God and the soul. Then it is for laughter, for happiness, for joy. Those who come to God in Christ Jesus and believe in him have their hearts filled with overflowing peace, which the calm lake of peace often lifts lifts up itself in waves of joy, which clap their hands in exultation. It is not to sorrow but to joy that the great king invites his subjects, which he glorifies when he glorifies his son, Jesus. So Spurgeon makes it clear that this good news of the gospel to a weary soul leads to a life of expressed joy. And that, you know, I know I do understand that some of you may be saying, well, you know, I just, I'm joyful in my heart. And I I get what you mean, but let's think for a second. Let's do a little bit of process of thinking. So Later on in Jesus' life and his ministry, he talks about how it's out, of the, it's out of the heart that comes things of the mouth, right? And he's specifically talking about sin. He's trying to address some of the issues of sin. People saying it's not just actions, it's also the heart. So Jesus is addressing it. But is, would this not also be true for joy? That if you have joy stored up in your heart, it will also be expressed in the way that you live. 
If that's true for sin, it's also true for the things that God has bid us to, not just the things that we're called to put to death. But, I, do, I mean, like, just think about this for a second. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because I, 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 I love just the thought of it. In the Old Testament, when, after David wins a battle and he, um, he celebrates God's plan enacted, it says that David danced with all his might. I don't even know what that means. I mean, there have been times in my life where I have danced, but I don't know that I've ever danced with all my might. And some interpretations of the scripture say that he ended up naked. So, I mean, I don't know what to do with that there. I will, there are times in my life where I will dance, specifically like one day I will dance in my daughter's wedding, but I don't know that I, I mean, hopefully, I don't end up that way. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it means to dance with all your might, but he certainly did. Because that's such a powerful statement, all your might, just everything you have, just getting it. I don't, <laughs> that is a joy that if that's what happens when joy happens, I have not experienced that joy, but I hope to one day. But for others, I do understand that this is not an easy truth to apply, that there have been dark nights of the soul. Look at what David says, this same David who danced with all his might says in Psalm 16 verses 8 through 11. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. For my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And I, I stand with you, friends, right now I, have wa- I, I get it. I understand there are dark nights. I have watched my son suffer in ways that no child should, but our joy, my joy, your joy can remain because the gospel is true for us today. Yes. Listen, it's, it's not like the life of the shepherd just got easier after, they, after the angels appeared to them and enacted uh, the will of God. It, it's, not like, it's not like things just got easier. You know what happens after? The, so first of all, they, we're gonna talk about it in a second. They go to the uh, to Bethlehem, they find Mary and Joseph, and they tell them, and there's great news. They tell them the, gr- the good news of great joy. And you know what they did after that? They went back to the fields. They went back to the fields to be, um, you know, misinterpreted in their role in society. They went back to the fields to be un- being alone, being called thieves. They went back to the fields and had to live their everyday life, the normal, mundane parts of their life, in light of the gospel. And that is true for us today because every single day we have to be reminded and live every single way that, and live in the way that we do and every single thing that we do, think, say, and act in light of this gospel truth. And that's irrelevant of circumstances. Last point. And we'll go back to verse number 10. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And the last point is the gospels for all people. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on here. I've mentioned a little bit the, uh, the shepherds were the disrepute of society in some, in some ways. They were generally viewed as thieves. They couldn't even sell the wool that they got from sheep because people just generally thought it was stolen. They, they, they weren't allowed to come to gathering, to temple. They weren't allowed to, um, they, their, their testimony in court wasn't valid. Like it just didn't matter. It didn't matter that they were like a human that could have seen something bad. If they, if they were brought in court, nobody cared. 
Uh, they weren't allowed to hold public office, which is just crazy to think about God flexing his plan uh, regardless of what people think because uh, what was David? A shepherd, right? What did he become? The highest public office, king. God is always at work in his plan, but it just seems as though he's always telling his message to bring to other people, to, the, to those that society otherwise would just say, uh, you're meaningless, and he's, he's always doing this in so many different ways. And you see this in, in some of the people represented here in this passage. Uh, you have the town of Bethlehem, which in, in large part was just a small farm town and insignificant to the large part of Roman rule. And Mary and Joseph of Nazareth. And Nazareth was nothing to write home about either. Nazareth, in fact, when Nathaniel, when Jesus went to go call his disciples and he um, sends the brother of Nathaniel to go get him, Nathaniel responds with, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, so let's not forget that God entreats his message to us and he calls and bids the lowly of heart to come to him. And that doesn't mean the poor in disrepute. It doesn't always mean that because God also gives his message to um, not just the lowly, but also the religious elite. If you remember in Jesus's ministry, when he's talking, when he's telling the parable of the prodigal son, yes, we all remember the younger son who, who basically took his life, took the things that he had and went and squandered them. We do remember that. But that parable was to the older brother. It was about the older brother because Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And if you remember at the end of that story, Jesus, when talking about the older brother, the father goes to the other brother and he bids him to come to the party to welcome his younger brother back. He bids him to come back to him. He pleads for the brother saying, you're welcome. You're welcome here. We want you to be a part. He bids the older brother, the, what would have been viewed as the religious leap back to himself, the gospel is good news, not only for the lowly, but also for those that are afar. So the gospel is for all people because it extends itself to all people. There is nobody, regardless of what you have done, where you live, what you look like, how much money you have, blue collar, white collar, it does not matter. Nobody gets excluded from the scope of the good news of the gospel. And listen, I know these these truths that we're talking about here, good news of great joy to all people. And those, those are great. And we can all like, even if you're a believer in the room, you can stand behind that, affirm it. But applying it is not the easiest thing in the world. So what I want to do is I want to really walk through the, the text right here real quickly and finish with this and show you exactly how uh, the shepherds in particular respond to the gospel. So let's look at verse 15. And when the angels went away from them into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The first application, how the shepherds respond to this good news of great joy is they run to Jesus. And they don't just casually stroll, they run to Jesus. And so what I, so I, what I entreat you to, friends, is that don't wait. God is not waiting for you to get to a better place, to be able to approach him. God bids you to come to him right now. Verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The good news of great joy to all people teaches us that we should share the good news of Jesus with others. 
that we, this kind of joy doesn't just stay internalized, but it bids us to go out into our community and our family and those around us that God has placed around us to be able to tell them the good news of the gospel. Verse 19, and I love this verse because there's so much like, I, I, I've been a believer for about 12 years now and I didn't catch this part of this passage and we read it every year. I didn't catch this part until this past year, uh, this past Christmas. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up these things and pondering them in her heart. See, you know the old song, Mary, did you know? Well, if she didn't, she does now uh, because she's pondering them in her heart. She's treasuring them inside of her heart. And the good news of the gospel, when, when the dark night of the soul hits and when we are surrounded by things that would obviously give us false hope or false joy, we can store up in our hearts the good news of great joy and that can, be, that can sustain us for a lifetime. All right, last verse, verse number 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. When the shepherds returned to the field, they went to live their life to the glory of God. No longer were they just shepherds. And no longer, if you, if you have put your trust in Christ, no longer are you just teacher. No longer are you just stay-at-home mom. No longer are you just corporate employee. You are a child of God bid to live your life in, all, in light of the gospel in every way. So I don't know what, uh, what kind of the year this has been for you. Uh, maybe this really has been a, a great year. Maybe this really has been a kind of, you know, jingle all the way, joy to the world type year. And that's, that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. Praise God for that. And I, and I hope you really get to enjoy the season. I hope you get to watch those nostalgic movies. I hope you get to enjoy family members, sort of. I, I hope you get to enjoy good food and presents. I, I hope that that's true, but it's more than that. It's more than, let's look beyond those things, beyond those things to the good news of great joy of Christ coming into the world. Or maybe you're feeling, a little, feeling beat up, banged up from this past year. Maybe 2019 wasn't a good year. Maybe this is your, your first time to have to go through a Christmas or a holiday without a loved one. Maybe you're not exactly where you want to be in your job. Maybe things aren't kind of working out there and you don't really know what to do. Maybe things aren't great with your husband or your wife. Maybe something happened this past year that reminded you of really just how fragile things are and how fragile you are. But we can remember this, that that's not all that there is. That there's something beyond that. There's something beyond that. We've been given good news of great joy, and that's true for us today, and our souls are secure regardless of what has taken place. And, and God, in, we, we serve and worship a God that has entered into the mess, entered into the chaos of our everyday life to bid us joy so that we can have peace. So regardless of how this year has been, as you go about your week, it is my hope it, that this is true for you today and that this Advent season isn't marked by the noise. It isn't marked by the internal noise, the external noise, the lights. It, those things are great, but I hope that and pray that your season of Advent is marked by this good news of great joy that brings you peace and, um, and happiness. Brothers, sisters, friends, I hope that in all things, every gift you receive, every family member you're around, that this Advent season reminds you of Jesus, reminds you of Jesus. If you could, if you could stay with me, I'll, I'll pray for us. Father God, we come before you right now and
We just ask, God, that during the busyness of this Christmas season, of this Advent season, God, that, that you could remind us of this good news, this good news that can, be, that can give us the kind of peace that we're looking for, that it's not going to be found in anything that, that we see elsewhere. God, we pray that you can remind us of the great joy that we can have because our souls are secure. You can remind us that it doesn't matter about the circumstances, the tragedies we experience, or the, the mountains that we've walked on, but that your joy is sustainable. And that this, this good news of Christ coming into the world can shape and mold us and help us to live a life that is worshipful to you. And so, God, we pray that you would, st you would stir our souls for you, stir our affections, store uh, this joy up in our hearts. God, we, uh, we give you all that we have, and we pray that you would bless us throughout this week. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.